Lock the gate! <laughs> Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuckinucks? I will be up there in what the fuck Canada uh, this week. What the fuck Otens? That was from uh, somebody in Dakota. Uh, what the fuck, Nicks? What the fuckstables? This is Mark Marin. This is WTF. I appreciate you stopping by. I appreciate you downloading me into your head. How am I in your head? Are we doing okay in your head? How is your head? Should I say nice things to your head? Hello. Everything's going to be okay, perhaps. I don't know. I'd like to say that Dimitri Martin is on the program today. It took me a long time to get Dimitri Martin. It wasn't like I was desperately pursuing Dimitri Martin, but I was politely uh, pursuing Dimitri Martin to come on my, on my show. That means a few emails. And then we went back and forth, and then it became, I, I think I drew a line with him, and I said, look, I'm not going to do this anymore. Let me know when you can do it. Well, it happened. We'll talk to him in a second. Uh, I'd like to give a shout-out. Do I do that? Did I just say shout-out? I did, didn't I? I'm going to do it. I'm going to shout-out something to somebody. My UPS guy delivers me a bag, uh, get a box of Just Coffee from JustCoffee.coop. Hang on. Oh, hell yeah. Pow. Wow. I just shit my pants. For reals. I might have to take a pause. I know that upsets some of you, but whatever. It's the plug. It's where it's at. It's modern broadcasting. So my UPS guy, who I now know his name, his name is Oscar, delivering me some Just Coffee telling me how much he likes the show, listens to it out there in the truck. He's in the truck all day listening to podcasts. I gave him a couple sick stickers. So I just want to say uh, thanks for listening, Oscar, out there on the front lines of the boxes, front lines of the box wars, UPS, competing. Man, I'm rambling. Come on. Still recovering from the Soundgarden concert. Went to the Soundgarden concert on Friday. I never go anywhere. I never go to concerts because this is how, this is how I... This is what happens to me when I know there's a band I want to see. I see it in the paper. Someone tells me they're going to be in town. Maybe it's a month from now. Uh, like, let's say a month ago, someone said Soundgarden is going to be at the L.A. Forum on July 22nd. I look at my uh, calendar. Wow, it's June 22nd. Fuck. Where are we going to park? Oh, it's going to be a pain in the ass to park over there. What time do we have to leave? So after a month of sort of masticating that mentally, I, uh, I'm out. I don't go. I don't think I need live rock and roll in my life. So this ticket comes out of nowhere. Uh, some dude I know from a management company says, you want to go to Soundgarden? I'm like, fuck yeah, I want to go to Soundgarden uh, because his company represents Soundgarden. And then he sets me up, uh, me and Jessica up with tickets. And then he, uh, I'm like, where are we going to park? Of course, was my first question. He said, I got you VIP parking. You pick up your tickets, you go in the VIP entrance. I'm like, holy shit. I never do that stuff. I'm not in that world. So I did the VIP thing, had great seats for Soundgarden, and forgot how much I fucking liked that band. Jessica went with me, reluctantly. Reluctantly. She's like, I guess. Yeah, okay. Soundgarden's okay. See, this is a generational problem. She actually said, at, well, we stayed for about two hours, and she started, uh, what? She's sitting right there looking at me. What? Now, what? Now I'm an asshole? Get on the mic. 
Pull that into your face. All right, it's in my face. All right, so, all right, well, let me just explain what happened. I, I'm at the show, I'm enjoying it. I'm doing the middle-aged sort of sway dance, you know, that you do because you're afraid to really dance. And I'm wearing my shorts and my short sleeve uh, middle-aged shirt. And I'm enjoying the sound garden. There were moments where air guitar was played, I think during Outshine, perhaps Loud Love, which I was happy they played. I was amazed at how many songs I heard uh, that I knew and liked. He sounded fucking great. They were just a group, four guys, casually doing the big cock rock work up there. No bells and whistles, just, you know, heads down, we're playing. Cornell looked great. So you're sitting there. I chose the wrong night to wear heels. I was breaking in some shoes. I just didn't want to stand on, okay. on hard concrete. And they cut off the beer. They cut off the alcohol, which is not a problem for you. It wasn't a problem for me either, but... You know. I, I think you, you're. I think you got cranky. You know, after that, I think that you know, once the alcohol went, you were like, uh, you, 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 you went into your phone. Uh, it seemed that we were done with the evening and we needed to go eat. I don't mind leaving a little early because that's the other reason why I don't go to concerts is because it's like I guess I'm going to skip the encore because I don't want to deal with this parade of drunks. You know, leaving this thing. But needless to say. Uh, I enjoyed the concert, and it, it took me back to going to concerts, you know. Uh, very polite guy next to me tapped me on the shoulder, asked if I minded if he smoked some pot next to me. And I said, no, not at all, buddy. Knock yourself out. But I do think I got a little proximity buzz. I think a little of that, uh, you know, came my way. Didn't fight it. Uh, didn't freak out. Didn't run away. Not sure I had it, but uh, I, I'm not going to beat myself up for it. Enjoyed the show. Reminded me of many shows I went to in high school that I didn't throw up at. So what were you doing on your phone there, Jess? You were tweeting during, uh, I believe, uh, Black Hole Sun. I wasn't tweeting anything. I wasn't doing anything. It was seeing you enjoy the sound garden, getting into it, playing some air guitar. Yeah. Uh, made me, you know, want to go to see a show that I liked. Like, so I was looking up bands that I liked. And Fountains of Wayne, if anybody's a Fountains of Wayne fan, uh -huh. I am too. They're playing at the Troubadour in... Uh, West Hollywood in October. Okay, we'll so there. so what you were doing is spitefully tweeting. No, no, not spitefully. No, tweeting. not tweeting. I mean, no you were spite. looking up bands that you wanted to see during the show that I wanted to see because you were like, if he's going to make me suffer through this, I, I he's taking me to see. No, 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 no. It wasn't suffering. It was great. No, it was awesome to go okay. in, and it All was right. a good. All it right, was a good gonna, time, and right. I yes. just I wanted to experience what you were experiencing i was like what band is going to make me feel that what band am i going to want to play air guitar to right and i thought fountains of wayne and now we're going to fountains of wayne yeah who the fuck are fountains of wayne they're a great band okay their hit song was stacy's mom which okay. is not exactly a good example of the rest of their music but yeah great fun band very fun Love okay jumping and dancing no no mosh pits Oh, that was the, the best of part of watching the audience at Soundgarden is that, you know, you saw this like throbbing audience, hands in the air. Everyone was very excited that the boys got back together again. And then like almost like a malignant cell occasionally in the middle of this body of an audience, some chaos would occur, some strange little insulated mosh pit. And uh, and you just sort of watched it move around. And then I watched these guys who were, you know, what do you call that? Cr uh, crowd diving? Not diving. Crowd, crowd surfing? Yeah. They were the crowd surfing guys. Like they'd always eventually, like I saw two or three times where they'd move the dude up to the front and then just sort of dump him into the security area and the security guys wouldn't just walk him back out there was no reprimand or anything else but there was a definite look of of disappointment and a sort of uh shock uh at the walk away from what just happened and i think that's a good metaphor for life you get in it you get celebrated you get moved and then you get dumped into the security area where you sort of droopily walk 
back around to the back of the crowd. But let's uh, let's move into something else, if I could. I'm going to be in, in Canada, which is always a problem for me because uh, I'm flagged. I'm flagged at immigration. I'm a flagged man. I, I'm a guy that raises uh, uh, alerts in Canada. You know why? Because I drove up there to Vancouver in 2006. The festival up there, Will, thank you very much, did not provide proper paperwork, and I was denied access. And because of that, every time I go to Canada, I have to go through immigration. And depending on how you know, how many people are, are backed up and for what reason, I could be in there for hours. So I chose to write a letter, take things into my own hands, and write a letter to the Minister of Immigration of Canada. I, and this is a problem for me because I can't write polite emails. You know, the way I would like to frame it is, dear minister, what the fuck is wrong with your country? This is ridiculous. I like coming there, but you're really pushing your luck if you want to have me there because I'm flagged for this ridiculous mistake that wasn't even my problem. All right. So enough of this bullshit. Don't you have bigger issues with people that are potential uh, criminals or real criminals or or potential uh, 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 criminal suspects or whatever the hell it is that immigration does and whatever this sort of condescending attitude, not even condescending. I don't know what how to explain the attitude of a customs agent. They're detached. They take their time. It's almost like they want to torture you. So this is how I, I would write an email. Dude, what's up? This is bullshit. Mark Marin. here's my passport number. I didn't do that. I'd like to share with you me being diplomatic because I don't know how often you hear that. I wrote, Dear Minister, my name is Mark Marin. I'm an American comedian. I work in Canada often, and I like working in Canada. You have great audiences up there. See, that's a little, ta- little bit of ass-kissing. Subject line, by the way, sir, I have a request. I work in Canada often. You have great audiences up there. See, I'm celebrating Canada. I have a problem. In 2006, I was invited to the Vancouver Comedy Festival. I traveled by car. When I arrived at the border, the festival had not supplied customs with the proper information. I was denied access to Canada until the festival worked it out. I then entered Canada. Because of that, I have been flagged, and every time I travel to Canada, I am held up in immigration. My humble request is... How do you like that? Nice touch, right? My humble request. Please, sir. Please, sir is you reassess my standing. If you check my record, I'm a good citizen. Huh? Good citizen with no criminal or other charges on my record. I don't think the flagging is warranted. I appreciate your time, Mark Marin. Here's my passport number. So now I get nothing back. They uh, sent a uh, some sort of uh, mechanized email in French uh, back to me. So I have no idea if this goes anywhere or what, but I'm looking forward to the day where I go into Canada and they say, go on through, sir, not go there, go into that room with the with, with a collection of people from around the world with all sorts of other problems other than not just having the proper paperwork that wasn't my fault are in there for hours while custom agents make you uncomfortable and make you feel like you've done something, even though you've done nothing. We'll see what happens. I'll let you know how that pans out. I will be up there at the uh, Just for Laughs Montreal Comedy Festival. Montreal Just for Laughs Comedy Festival. I don't know how you phrase it, but we're doing a live WTF up there. Sorry it's sold out. I'll be doing a gala. Don't know if that's sold out. I'm doing some other shows, but I'm very nervous about the keynote address. They asked me to do the keynote address. Why me? But I'm going to do it. It's been the bane of my existence in my mind for months because I wanted to do it right, be honest, 
be funny. And I just, I, I'm, I'm nuts like that. I, I mean, they asked me to do this thing. It seemed like a prestigious thing. It's only the third time they've done it. And in my mind, my first thought was, what, they couldn't get anybody else? I mean, I'm just a guy who works in my garage. Man, putting that thing together was, uh, was a, a harrowing experience. But I think that we've got a, we've got a good, uh, good riff, good rap, good speech. I will go out of my way to make sure I get that on tape and share it with you guys. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna bring my rig up there. We're gonna do some recording. Maybe I'll maybe I'll do an episode up there. I don't know. There's a lot of comics up there. I'm gonna do a live one, but maybe I can corner somebody into talking to me that uh, I haven't talked to previous. I can't believe I'm doing that speech. Why am I so nervous about talking in front? Of, it's you know why? Because it's the industry. It's my peers. It's uh, there'll be a few fans there, and uh, I, I Lewis Black did it last year. It's a lot of pressure in my mind. It's a lot of pressure in my mind that I put on me to make it difficult for me. Can I just embrace shit and say, wow, this is going to be great. This is going to be fun. Have I ever fucking said that? Hold on. Let me go through my files. I'm going back right now. I'm searching. uh, This is going to be fun in my brain. uh, I put that in my little brain box. Hold on. I'm still doing a search. All right. We're going back. 95, 94, 93, 92, 91, 90, nothing. Uh. 89 nope this is going to be fun uh 90 98 oh wait 97 this is going to suck 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 nope close this is is there this is going to be fun 95 already did that year 89 88 80 fuck oh wait yes yes it looks like i said it once looks like i said it once when i got my driver's license Wow. My guest in the Cat Ranch garage here is Dimitri Martin, finally. Uh, Thanks for having me. I've been trying to uh, passively, aggressively get you on the show for months. I remember we ran into each other. You might have just started, yeah. Right, I, we were on the street in New York, yeah, like near uh, Union Square. You're like, "Hey, man!" <laughs> you just came up. I'd, yeah, you started the conversation before I even saw you. I was like, yeah. "Oh, hey, Marin." Yeah, and then you're like, "You should. I got a podcast. You should do my podcast." I was yeah. like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And then I, I, then I think we talked about you for about ten minutes. You were having some sort of issue about something not <laughs> working out. Right. There's, there's like, it's like, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, they only want to pay. They only want to give me the key to the city, and I sort of wanted my own building. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was some, <laughs> some big problem that. Yeah, I was broke and trying to get you to come to my garage, and you're like, "Yeah, you know, they they added a car into the deal, but I said I didn't really like the car." And I'm like, "Okay, perspective's an amazing thing, isn't it?" <laughs> I see you. I'm like, "Oh yeah, you're one of the guys." Three Arts, Luna. That's over. Like, That's over. Three Arts is over. Is that right? You you were always in oh. the in the class above me. You guys were impenetrable. Hey, what you. do you mean impenetrable? In what way? Well, just you know, we were just a class above you. You're it just a class above me. It wasn't impenetrable. It's like I think probably my own. I uh, brought my own shit to it. But yeah, you know, uh, you, Louie, yeah. Attell. We do bring uh, our own shit to things. And we tend to. That's why we're comics, yeah. I guess, partly. But yeah, but you know what I mean. You guys had Todd. He was yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was always trying to just get up in those rooms. So yeah, I like, remember. Yeah. I remember yeah. running into you and uh, at that diner up by the comics troupe with my ex-wife. Now, I think that was the first time I remember actually talking to you. We were sitting there. And uh, and you were telling me about... Oh, yeah, I remember this. Yeah. Do you remember? I remember running into you. I don't remember what we talked about, but I remember yeah, that. Well, yeah. I remember that I was surprised that you had uh, dropped out of law school to do comedy, and then I think I said that wasn't unusual. 
Yeah. That right. I'd known other, there were other lawyer comics. Right. Or Geraldo, that, Mercurio. Uh, Al Lubell. Al Lubell, right. <laughs> but <laughs> he still carries the legal pads, which I, <laughs> I think maybe in some ways he might still be involved. Al Lubell used to do the Boston Comedy Club a lot when I started. He That's where very, I'd get up. He's very funny. He's I very love, yeah. funny. I love Al Lubell. I thought he was such a great joke writer. Yeah. Very but, unique. But I didn't realize that you come from... I like what do you come from? I mean, like it always yeah. amazed me that that someone would make a decision to, to stop going to law school. I understood that, but I mean, you could have finished. Yeah, I mean, did you? you yeah, did, you didn't finish. You, no. you were already how many years in? I did two years out of the three, and I had a full scholarship, so I was free. I could have just finished for free the last year. Well, There's, what the hell kind of decision is that to make? Yeah, it's one that uh, I'm certainly glad I made. I think. For me, and what? it is funny when you say where I come from, because it makes me think of comics in general. I yeah. think of hanging out at the cellar, and right. I think of, I started in New York. You start, Did you start in Boston? I don't know where you would officially say I started. I, I think you would say I officially started in Boston. Okay, so you, you started doing stage time regularly in Boston. So for me, New York, that's Kinda, where I started. Yeah. But I, I, at the same time, I think felt like, oh, cool, I found my people, and, geez, I'm... I feel like a spectator. I'm kind of outside this. Not just being new at it, but more like... Yeah, I remember when you're sitting at the children's table at the cellar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah that's not it. the main back table. Right. And yeah, for yeah. and still, I can kind of... I have to... Can I go with the main one? I don't really do spots here. I don't know. But for me, I felt like, well, I love... I think I want to do stand-up. I love, I love writing jokes. I want to tell my jokes. I want to do bits. And I don't have the stripes. Not even just the stage time yet, but I'm not traditionally fucked up maybe in the way some of the guys are and the ways that they mine that i am i have my own problems just like everybody well, you're, you're incredibly self-centered no um i don't know incredibly i'd say uh-huh. <laughs> even there it's not enough <laughs> i'm somewhat self-centered yeah you're right i'm i'm i'm, I'm as self I, I i'm above the bar for self-involved for sure for come but what i was going to say was guys go on stage and they're like been sober. They start their set with been sober fifteen years. You know things like that. Really, who's done that? Uh, Voss, I remember. Oh, used to yeah. do that in right, the, the right. Boston and stuff. And, and that was the last bit of humanity he has in his <laughs> act. <laughs> I, I love, I love. I've spent so much time with this. So we've been there at the same time. But yeah. I just sit there and listen. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really get involved in the. Well, I remember you used to walk in with like. Uh, I remember this one night. I always tell a story about you where. Where like we'd be sitting at the back table and you'd walk in with like a skateboard, an easel, a guitar, <laughs> yeah. you know, a bicycle, and be like, "Jesus, Dimitri, why don't you just write a joke?" I remember. <laughs> I, remember I remember. I was thinking on the way over here. I'm like, "What? Are, where do Mark and I intersect? Like, what is what stuff that I remember?" One thing I remember is going to Caroline's one yeah. time, and I got to do a spot there somehow on some showcase. Yeah, and. I had my skateboard. I had my longboard. Remember, it was a like yeah, really, yeah. really long board, yeah. which was, you know, in my defense, more stable. When you skated around New York, the longer board was more stable. I skated everywhere. I was broke. I skated everywhere in that thing. No cabs. I take the subway sometimes. Yeah. And uh, I came in there, and you were like, you looked at me with the skateboard. You said, how old are you? <laughs> I said, 28. <laughs> you said, you got two years on that thing left. <laughs> <laughs> That was a good bit. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're, there, there was something. Well, I think that you, you were, uh, you were a little pre-alternative, yet you were doing something that uh, seemed uh, unique and and not necessarily traditional stand-up. But it, you know, I don't think that alternative really had locked yeah. in yet. Yeah. But you were still doing. You know, there was that period of time where I think you got a lot of flack for being uh, Mitch-like. 
Yes, and Mitch Light, I was called. Oh, were you really? Yeah. That's, they always like to say light when you're now, but how somebody. much how much of of you being compared to Hedberg was uh, was sort of what the fire under your ass that made you you know do more visual stuff on stage? Oh, that's, and, a, that's an interesting yeah. That, you know, for me it was when I started. So I started in the summer of '97. Yeah, and I think like a lot of comics, I was just like, all right, can I get laughs? Here we go. Right. For me, for whatever reason, I write one-liners. Like from my very first night, I had twelve jokes. Right. So I, for better or worse, I'm a joke teller. That's right. where how I come at it. Right. So I remember Boston Comedy Club. I went up. I did my jokes. Half of them worked. I was so excited. Yeah. Like the next night at Yield Triple In, I bombed the second night. And then mm-hmm. a week later, I started doing it regularly. And I was like, all right, I want to be a comic. From the minute I started, I was Stephen Wright. And anybody who's somebody like, yeah, you're you're funny, whatever. You're you're Stephen Wright. Yeah. Oh yeah, you're like Stephen Wright. You know right. who you remind me of? Stephen Wright. Right. Fair enough. Okay. I like Stephen Wright. Sure. And I knew who he was, right. and he certainly influenced me. I like one-liners. One-liners with an absurd slant. Yes. I mean, they weren't like, take my wife, please, or da ba 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 Right, and they weren't political one-liners. It wasn't right. a, a late- Abstract. Kind of abstract. Yeah. I like to think simple. As few words as possible is the game for me. Sure. Two years later, I'd say, maybe two and a half years later. 99. Around then, people are telling me, oh, you remind me of Mitch. You're like, who's, like Mitch? who's Mitch? I'm like, who's Mitch? <laughs> I hadn't seen Mitch. Yeah. Um, and I remember Lenny Marcus, comic from New York. Yeah, said, I know. You know, you're funny. He's like, you kind of remind me of Mitch. He's on the West Coast, you know, but you guys are kind of similar. Well, oh, that's okay. weird because, you know, people were saying to Mitch, you remind me of Stephen Wright. I mean, I think the source of it, that, that's interesting that there's a sort of a legacy because uh, I think George Carlin once said about Mitch Hedberg, he's like uh, Stephen Wright if he'd been hit in the head with a bat. <laughs> that's funny. So, I mean, so that there was a groove there. There's that, a groove there, but and and then I guess Stephen Wright. When I discovered Woody Allen, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say there's as a direct lineage, but I'd say Stephen Wright. When I listen to Woody Allen, I'd be like, "Wow, there's some amazing kind of absurd one-liners yeah. in here." But it's couched in anecdote. Yeah. And for Woody Allen, right, there are longer stories. And yeah. The Moose has like 25 yeah, punchlines yeah, in yeah. it. But anyway, so then Mitch. Is he sure it's 25? Okay, I kind of 23. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Mitch, so Mitch blows up. Mitch yeah. becomes Mitch Hedberg. Yeah. I see him. I remember I went to the comic strip. They're yeah. like, hey, he's in town. You should yeah. go see him. And I saw Mitch and I thought- Oh, fuck. I got to get an easel. I thought, <laughs> can I carry that easel on my skateboard? <laughs> now I need two things. I need yeah. a guitar and an easel to balance me on the skateboard. Yeah. So yeah, so I remember seeing Mitch and thinking, number one, this guy's hilarious. And number two, oh yeah, I see the similarity. He's telling short jokes. But I honestly thought, God, he seems more like his attitude and his rhythm and what he is, is as a person- Yeah. I just felt I'm very different from that guy. But sure. I guess I learned quickly that that doesn't matter. To the world, I tell short jokes. He's the most famous guy right now telling short jokes. And I'm laid back. Or okay, I, I'm Mitch Hedberg. Like, right. And I and it's a weird thing to not know somebody and to genuinely not be influenced by them, but then to be told yeah. you're him. And I'm sure I was influenced by his time. After seeing him, how are you not influenced by people you see? Well, to some yeah. degree, you are. Of course. But- in terms of where I, when I look back, yeah, Stephen Wright. Like I saw Stephen Wright when I was in high school, and I was like, I can't predict his punchlines. Like this is interesting. To me. Right. No. Well, this is a genuine influence. And there's on no me. shame on that. And yeah. I'm sure that on some level, Mitch was probably influenced by Stephen Wright. There's no way that 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 form exists in a vacuum. Yeah. But then, but when that happened, because like quite honestly, you were coming over here, and I had so many other things on my mind. I had forgotten until we just started talking about that. That that was sort of this. Uh, this burden you carried for people a while. People should know I'm dressed as Mitch Hedberg right now. So yeah, it's very fair weird. enough for Mark. He's got those weird yeah. blue sunglasses on and his hair is, and he's not looking at me. And, he, <laughs> and he's rocking a he's little rock. bit. And he seems smarter than Dimitri. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, God, Mitch was such a great comic. Yeah. And, and 
but as I mean, a performer it, too, I mean, I, I have so much respect for him. So in a way, it's a compliment if people are going to even compare me to the guy. But but it yes. had been a sort of a chore. Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah. for sure, for sure. And yeah, I, I in a way, that's different than Stephen Wright because I think just we're closer generationally. Sure, because he was still alive. And, and, and Zach. He, and then Zach. I play an instrument. You're Zach. You know, Dimitri, you're Zach. You can't play instruments on stage. Now you're Zach. Is that true? You got that too? A little bit. In New York, I got that. And then- That fucking shit bothers me a little bit. It's like, come on. Victor Borgia. Yeah, Victor <laughs> Don't Borgia. we go way back to like- But then you got Billy Steve, Connolly, you like- have, You have to start going- Right, right. Making like, you know, punctuation noises. Right, right. No, yeah. Victor Borgia, sure. I mean, yeah. And then, it, by the way, I, I remember I went to the punchline the first time and- Or I was in San Francisco doing Sketch Fest and somebody came up to me after the show. They're like, you know, you remind me of Mitch Hedberg and a little bit of Zach and uh, Arch Barker because your haircut you look like arge so i'm thinking oh my god i can't you can't i'll never just be my i can't just be myself i'm just not but allowed, that's not but know? that's not true that actually happened you did become yourself yeah and uh and and people had to reckon with that but but it, it is sort of a burden that people seem to pigeonhole people that, you know, that, that they need to sort of have this point of reference because it's never said you know, unless a comic pulls you aside and says look you know you you gotta watch yourself. Yeah. You know, because you know stylistically you're glomming a little bit. Yes, and, and look, it's it's really proprietary what we do. Uh-huh. I think people stake out turf, and I think we're survivors in a way. Like you get defensive right. about. Um, I remember talking to Judah once at uh, Aspen. I was at Aspen at the comedy festival. It doesn't exist anymore, right? But I went there and I had a I had a hat on. I yeah. had drawn on my hat. This is in 2004, maybe? Yeah. And I did, you know, you do that warm-up set the first night you get there or something? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Hey, if you want to go up, you yeah, know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. If you want to learn how to breathe and talk while you're at a mile <laughs> yeah. high. Yeah. Yeah. So I did like, you know, I did my five minutes, but I had my hat on. I wasn't thinking. I went up on stage with the hat on. Yeah. When I got off stage, Judah was like, so is this your thing now? You're going to wear a hat? You know, you draw on your own hat, you wear it on stage? I thought he was doing a bit. I thought he was, he might have been. I can't. I still don't know if he was fucking with me. And so I just went with it. I was like, yeah, this is my thing now. I draw on hats uh-huh. and I do it on stage. And he's like, that's my thing. <laughs> but I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, man, I'm, I'm, you know, like a lot of comics, I'm sensitive about that stuff. Well, Number they, one, just to respect other comics, man. I don't want to right, be anybody but, else. But when someone says that shit to you, it's, it's never, it's always a fucking swag. Yeah. You know, yeah. like when, even when they say, like, you remind me a little, I'm oh, like, oh, totally. fuck it. Oh, God damn it. I did a bit that was very similar to Seinfeld that I didn't know. It's, I thought it was my joke. And I was already doing theaters at this point. And after the show, people were waiting in line to meet me. And some girls were like, hey, great Seinfeld cover. I love that one joke. Oh. Which is such a snarky, like, okay, snarky. I didn't. It's just fucking horrible. It's just me. And I'm like, cover. I mean, look, I didn't. I'm not going to do a Seinfeld joke on purpose. I've read thousands and thousands of jokes. It's, yeah. You're going to overlap. But it landed, didn't it? She got you. She got you? me. That's, I'm saying it here at the carriage. <laughs> but when you started, like, did you, who were, who were people? Not everybody has it, obviously. Like, I think of comics and they wouldn't compare. Well, I did it. So. Like, I was an angry guy, so you know, there's only a few angry guys. So you know, you get uh, you get Hicks. You know, I think was more than more so than anything else. It's there funny was a... you say that because I remember before I knew you, yeah, going to Luna and seeing a couple shows, and I always thought like some guys that's genuine, and other guys you're like, that's one of the shortcuts somebody figured out as a way to engage an audience. Yeah, but it's, you know not, I mean? it's not a great one. With no, the it's anger not a thing. Yeah. If it's fake, I think you're in deep shit because you're you're gonna have to. You mean Orny Adams anger? Yeah, you, <laughs> it's, right. you're gonna have to manufacture right yeah. each night. He's like, wor- you have to work that up. And then when I got to know you, I was like, okay, <laughs> Mark's for real. It's not bullshit. <laughs> and you know, the first time I think yeah, I don't know done. if this was one of the first time I met you at Luna. Maybe we had, yeah. we met up town. We were talking. You hosted, right? And we were at the bar, and you came up to me. 
you're like looking at the list who are these comics you yeah. don't know me come up to me you're like hey man just wanted you to know uh i've heard a lot about you and i'm not on board no i didn't say that to you, <laughs> you too did, did i oh, have you said that to other people is that a bit <laughs> you said that to me no it's not a bit but i i've said it to i said it to eddie ift <laughs> did you oh so me and eddie yeah yeah, yeah. uh i i it did that just came out of uh spite and well, I, you know what man I, of course i don't care you don't did you did you care at the moment yeah Oh. At the moment, I cared. You know what I cared about too was after I did my set, you hosted. Yeah, I had a good set. I was so psyched. I had a good yeah. set at Luna. People who don't know who are listening, Luna Lounge doesn't even exist anymore. The building's gone. I know they destroyed it. I think they, they when I was there uh, not long ago, they were building something there on Is that, that right? spot. Wow, yeah. some hotel probably some uh, yeah, luxury apartment thing. building. Yeah, but Luna was the spot. I mean, for me, number one, I couldn't get up in the clubs, and number two, a lot of the comics I liked were at Luna. So I wanted to get on there. And that but, was the beginning of that alternative thing where people yeah. with a little more uh, quirkier or, or, did, or, or weren't stuff. working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I got my shot at Luna. It was like impossible. And I was hosting it? You hosted that night. Ugh. I had a good set. Yeah. And after I got off stage, you said to the audience, isn't he adorable? Nah, it pissed me off. <laughs> 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 I was like, motherfucker, you, adorable. You I'm fuck. working, man. I'm doing my thing. But yeah, look, look, I, I am what I am. I look what I look like. And but, but let's be honest. I mean, you've maintained a haircut for a decade. Yes. So yes. I mean, you know, there's a there's a, there's a commitment there's a to consistency. There's a choice, and, yeah. it, and it happens to be an adorable haircut. Thank you. But you know that. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? I know that I like the Beatles, and I know that I have a prominent nose. Uh-huh. And I know that if I have a certain haircut, it balances my head a little bit. Okay. All right. So, well, it's, well yeah. I respect people. I mean, I scrambled through a lot of different looks over the years, and, and yeah. you, you locked into committing to your nose. And I'm gonna, and my hair is going to go, just like everybody, so I'm trying to Why enjoy it Why do you think that? Lasts. You're Greek, aren't you? I am Greek, yeah. It doesn't go. We'll see. I hope. What's a, Maybe I'll go before it goes. Don't be negative. See, this is where this. See, this is the self-centeredness. I knew that. Part of you is like negativity equals self-centeredness. Oh, in I a guess way. it's lamenting. Right, lamenting you know, oneself. You have yeah. to be focused on oneself first. Very good. So, yeah. what did you study in college? I studied. I. It's gonna sound crazy, but I, I majored in myself. I figured out how to major. That's awesome. You <laughs> said you went to Hampshire, one of those hippie <laughs> no, schools. You know, no, I, I I was a history major. I changed my major eleven times. I'd say. Uh huh. And eventually. I ended up in history. And where'd you go? Yale. Wow, oh, poor you. Yale, yeah. huh? Really? Yeah. Hmm. That must have been rough. <laughs> where'd you go? Boston University, buddy. Oh, poor No Yale. Yale for me. Oh, such a step down. They're oh, so no. different, Yale and BU. Yeah, one's an Ivy League <laughs> school, one's a, uh, a school for rich Jewish kids. I think they're both schools for rich Jewish kids. <laughs> 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 but one's also Ivy League. Yeah. Oh, BU. Cool. So yeah, you were right in Boston. Where'd so. you grow up? New Jersey. Jersey Shore. I'm from there. That's exactly what Asbury Park, Tom's, Deal. Tom's River, New Jersey, next to Seaside Heights. Okay. The town next door. That's where I'm from. Next uh, to Seaside Heights. Yeah. Well, how far is that from Asbury Park? I think about 30 minutes. Oh, so it's, far, it's down it's south. south? Yeah, oh, okay. South. Yeah. So what kind of what kind of world did you grow up in? What did your dad do? My dad was a Greek Orthodox priest. He wore the, the costume? Yeah. With the hat? No. The collar. The collar? The beard? Black outfit. The beard? Long no, hair? he was clean shaven. Oh. He, he was from Brooklyn. He was... Um, a, a pretty modern guy, I'd say. He was born in Brooklyn, and uh, he really liked comedy. He is was he still a around? Guy. No, he died oh. in '94. Oh, he died when I was a junior in college. Oh, really? Kidney cancer. Four, oh, god. Forty-six. Oh, very young. Man. And um, does that scare you now? Yeah, yeah, it does. Because uh, I think, like, I, I recently have, um, you know, talked to somebody. Uh, the woman I'm dating, you know, lost her mom in a weird way, you know, when she was very young, and there's, and I, I didn't realize that 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 would plant a fear of you. Yeah. Being in the same, so situation. she was young when she lost her mom. Right, but 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 so her mom the was clock, young. The clock ticks. Well, right? the mom was she young. approaches her mom's age. Right, yeah. right. 
Yeah. So yeah. that, yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm 37. So it's crazy that he was only 46. And of course, knowing comics, especially when you started, you know, older guys. And it's weird that they're kind of your friends or contemporaries, but then you can be friends with the guy who's in his 40s. Sure. When you're in your late 20s and yeah. stuff. So yeah. Like, I'm knowing people who are older than my dad was when he died. So it is so strange. And you're going to be that age. I'm older than your dad when he is died. Is that right? So he's I'm so 47. Much... Wow. That's now I'm scared. <laughs> You're over the hump, man. See, <laughs> see, I can make it about me. How do I disarm this weird dark pit I just dumped us into? That's see, that's what I like about, and not to kiss your ass here, but at least you, you go back and forth. You talk about real stuff. You talk about comedy, how they blend. I mean, yeah. it is interesting. It's not just, hey, when you did this bit, whatever. And it's no, not but, also just, oh, tears of a clown, everything sucks. You know, there's a balance. Like no, I think there's a balance with most of us after a certain point that you know, if it's all tears of a clown, you're, you're probably not functioning that well on stage anymore. Yeah that I, I found that in talking to people that generally that you can definitely envelop yourself in your own shit cloud yeah. and, and take yourself right out of the fucking game. Yes, and but what's weird too is you can envelop yourself in that shit cloud and do wealth. You can, sure, if you can be pretty it, deep in the shit cloud and sure. still be getting like money yeah. and jobs and stuff. Well, yeah, that's if you, if you are a shining light under your own shit cloud <laughs> right. and you can you make can... everybody else's shit cloud seem like a friendly, happy place. You can pierce through it. Yeah. Sure, man. A yeah. lot of people, a lot of people, uh, they're, 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 they barter in shit clouds. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a comic, uh, it's definitely a comic style. When it's inauthentic, I think that's when pisses, that's what pisses people off sometimes when they find that. The out. inauthentic shit cloud. Yeah. That it's like guy's you have, not to, be, really you have to be up. really in your shit cloud. Yeah. Yeah. No fake yeah. shit clouds. Yeah. That's what we, that's the t shirt. I don't so, know. When, oh. But did you grow up in a religious home then? Not really. You know, so my dad was, so he was this Greek priest in yeah. the Greek, in the Greek religion, the Greek Orthodox religion. So you can get married before you become a priest, but you can't get married after you become a priest. So, so they're going to get in under the wire. Yeah, so what happens is they go to college and then seminary school. Yeah. Seminary, I guess it's just called. And uh, the last thing they do is they get ordained, and that's when it's, that's the turnstile you go through that you can't come back. So, so, go, like, so they'll go through seven years of school, a lot of these guys, and just wait and look for a wife before they do that ceremony. Oh, really? That last thing. So they're out there just sort of like, got to get make, gotta make this happen. Just trying to hook up. Just trying to, to, the caller is about to strap me down. Yeah, that's right. that's a good pitch, too. How many women go for that? Ah, yeah. priest? Oh, yeah. Oh, that sounds hot. Right, yeah. So my dad, my dad met my mom young. So he, through through school, they were together. Mm -hmm. And she was in Brooklyn. He was visiting home, I think. And He's maybe, first generation? He's his first generation when you're born here? Or is that? Yeah. Yes. Okay. He, he's first generation and... Um, my mother, oh, he was one and a half, I think. One parent was born here and one wasn't. Uh -huh. And my mom's, both her parents are born in Greece hmm. or from Greece. I think. She had like a, a very rich, like I always, whenever somebody, maybe it's a stereotype, but I just picture if you had actual Greek, Greek grandparents, that must've been, I just see it as lively. Yes. That there's a lot of uh, eating and maybe <clears throat> spontaneous dancing. There's a uh, big clan. It's yeah. uh, for, lamb involved. For better and worse, lamb. lamb, when we'd have the whole lamb on this. On my Easter? Chop its head off in the right. garage. Oh, you did all of that? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Did you guys eat the head? I didn't, but they made a soup out of it. They Some did, right? Did. Yeah, they with the brains and the yeah, eyes Yeah, yeah, and the eyes. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, all that. You had to deal with that, huh? I grew up with all that, but so I grew up going to church every Sunday. Yeah. I was an altar boy, went with my dad, and I was... Until I left for college, I was in the altar. You know, I just go with him every Sunday, and then really, my, yeah, I just go to church. And but the funny thing is, the Greek, my church at least, a lot of the Greek ones, it's in archaic Greek. The whole service, it's just ritual. It's you like don't know Hebrew. the word. Yeah, no, I get it. Is that yeah. how it is in sure? Syria? Sure, yeah, you, you know like, the words. I don't know what they're saying. You just learn your gig for your bar mitzvah, and then you're out. Exactly. And I didn't. 
we never talked about the Bible. I don't know anything about the Bible. I'm not. I don't but, think I'm religious. I don't even know if I'm religious but, anymore. Well, that's I'm, a good question though, because yeah. I find that as well in growing up in a religion. But we were conservative, but we didn't go much high holidays. But I went to Hebrew school and whatnot, and, and there was never a. I never learned the language, but I was. Ne- I think you have to be taught how to use God. If, yeah. if no one's going to teach you how to use God, it's just this weird detached thing. I never. Ne- I was never taught, you know, what it meant to believe. Right. Were you? No. And your dad was a priest, so he kind of yeah. It's huh. the same thing. He just I, assumed you'd pick it up. You'd I get think the so. Kid on the altar. We were, we were a non-communicative family in a lot of ways. When I look back, now I was twenty when he died, so maybe I would have just been right. coming around to ask more of those questions. But I remember one of your bits that I really liked, and I tell me if I'm wrong about it because I remember that. I hope it's my bit. I think it's your bit. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's about um, believing in something. Yeah. Kind of just in case, so that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, most people believe in God just in case. Yeah. You don't want to get That's into, you know what I mean? You don't want to die and go, oh, okay, I'm sorry. You right, know, I remember you acting it out. There's a tap dance and you kind of right, do it. Right, yeah. right, and then yeah. there's the walk downstairs, right. Right, it's like the downside is so much greater uh, by not believing yeah. than what you sacrifice by believing. But it's an interesting, I always, I often wonder, maybe because my dad was a priest, how do I acquire beliefs? Like, what do I even believe? You probably have some. I think I have, I, I have some, but... I question, maybe as a comic, I don't know how many people, I question a lot of stuff. I'm just uncertain about so much. And I think that's hard in a business that trades in confidence because yeah, someone who blindly believes has the benefit of just blind confidence. They just have a faith and a confidence, even if it's insanely in themselves, talk about self Yeah, but I, I think that a lot of that confidence, like somebody who has faith doesn't necessarily have confidence. I mean, part of the struggle uh, you know, in, in dealing with uh, the idea of sin and the idea of accepting your own sin and accepting that we're flawed, that that is not the most confident place in the world. I mean, but no, but, but there's faith does have confidence folded into itself. It seems, but I think you're right. There's a fundamental. I think the the idea of questioning is part of a yeah you know, a, a comics finding, makeup finding and, bits and, and stuff. So anyway, well, in a way, if you look at what you do, you know, if you look at one liners and you know, in looking at your book that you you know you do drawings. You, that these like I have always found that poetry, uh, in its raw sense, uh, and I think some people may read the Bible that way as well. That if a poem works, or or if uh, if even if a one liner works, that you get that moment of closure where you yeah. get that satisfaction. Absolutely. And and in the beginning there was the word. I mean that is you know line one, isn't it, of Genesis? So you are in a way. It's all an equation of 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 feeling your place in the world. Uh, yeah, there are these little endpoints. Yeah, where you can quantify results. Right, and then when you get tired of your endpoints, you got to create some new endpoints. You need some new endpoints. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you run out of endpoints, you're like fuck. Everything's fucked. I remember Louis telling me once he he saw me and he was like, he's like, yeah, th- those are, I like this bit, I like that bit. He's like, yeah. he's like, you're a fastball pitcher. Yeah. He's like, you'll grow out of that, but right, it's hard to keep throwing the heat. It's right. like one liner, one liner, one liner. He's like, you know. This, right, you, you'll develop. You'll figure something else out. Well, he was not. Well, he was never a fastball pitcher. No, but, you know, he was. He's definitely a curveball pitcher. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I love his silly, absurd. Like, yeah, back stuff. in the day, yeah. right? Yeah, but no, but uh, yeah, he's definitely grown out of that. So, all right. So you grew up with a priest, and what did your mom do? Nutritionist. A priest and a nutritionist. A dietitian at nursing homes in our in our town in Jersey. There. Oh, really? She made uh... it into a business where she got consulting she got other dietitians to work under her so she could do the menus at more than one nursing home at a time and she would consult she made that's an entrepreneurial good thing well then then we had a stand at the boardwalk at jersey shore this is way this is in the 80s but we had a greek food stand called shorty shish kebab 
That doesn't sound uh, healthy. <laughs> it was. We had funnel cakes and yeah. Everything so your mom, out. did she not uh, partake in that? So she got her, her siblings to come down from Brooklyn in the summer and her, her dad and mom in this seasonal business my mom worked at as well. She did like kind of two jobs. So it's sort of that, well, that's interesting on a spiritual level that she had this, you know, light and dark side where she'd be pushing funnel cakes to the kids, but then she'd go to the nursing home and say, how about some greens? <laughs> right. She, that's funny. Never thought of that. See, if I were that kind of comic, I could do this. I never talked like, you know, I'm doing jokes about rowboats and balloons yeah. and shit. I don't, I don't think about like, here's my mother. Like, yeah. 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 The light and the dark side. No, but seriously, that that is exactly right. It was cheeseburgers and funnel cakes and shish kebab and it was it's all about business a very conservative family it's uh-huh. all about like making money your dad like, the priest was in on the on the shish kebab biz no. he, he kind of would see morally that a, couldn't be yeah he conflict, wasn't in conflict on of it. interest but in a, a kind of traditional greek enclave there it was weird that oh the priest's wife which has a title presbytera they call her really yeah she's like the first lady in a sense of the uh-huh, church uh-huh. it's not uh becoming to to be sh- to be this kind of hustler and cheeseburgers yeah and- this kind of entrepreneur you know the the priest shouldn't because then we got a diner which we still have my family so my mom took all the money come on are you kidding me with this I'm serious so you we got a, a diner? diner in Jersey uh, that is so traditional it's I think it's true stereotype I know a Greek diner in New Jersey that is the home of the original Greek diners it's the, it's the truest Astoria and Jersey in fact when I was in college one of my roommates was from uh Beijing from China named Bing. Uh-huh. And you know, you have a guy come overseas and he doesn't know anything about American Did culture. Did you make him laugh? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And uh I But he d- was really Chinese? He was really Chinese. He had been at Tiananmen Square actually. And uh he his parents were both theoretical physicists. Really interesting guy. Comes uh-huh. over, starts over, starts freshman year over in America yeah. at Yale. He had done like a year at Peking University but had to be in the military for a year as right. punishment for Tiananmen Square cuz he was I don't know there or something. So, anyway, we're telling him about America. This roommate's telling him this stuff. And I said, Bing, here's one of the truest stereotypes. Greek people own diners. Kind of, you know, I was joking around, but I was like, diners in America are usually owned by Greek people, and Greek people usually own diners, pretty much all of them. He all said, Greek people. I said, pretty much, you know. <laughs> so it was one uh, holiday break, and he was, he's not going back to China. He yeah. can't go back to China. Right. So on the holidays, he would just stick around campus and stuff. He decided to go to Atlantic City one break, drove down from New Haven with another Chinese student, these yeah. two guys. He was obsessed with gambling and cops and like all this American, uh-huh. just stuff they couldn't have over there. Right. He's driving down and he saw the sign for my town. He got off the highway and he saw a diner and he went into it. Yeah. It wasn't my family's diner, it was another diner. Right. And he, he said, he just walked inside. He said, do you know Dimitri? <laughs> and they were like, yeah. <laughs> so that, that, that diner owner called my uncle. No. Yeah, and they called and then I went over to the diner this is before cell phones, so mm-hmm. of course he couldn't call me. This is 1994 right. or something. And you went and met him at the other diner? So I went and met him at the diner. Did you take was... him over to your dad's diner? No, no, he just went on his way to Atlanta. So who, what part of your family owns this diner? My mom, originally it was my mom, grandparents, and my uncle were all partners. My grandmother sold her share to my uncle, so now it's my mom and my uncle. Well, you know, the guy in Madison, Wisconsin, who owns the comedy club there... He's a Greek guy, and he's right? a restaurant guy. I've never been there. Uh, he just recently, I think he acquired it recently, but he, he's not a comedy guy, but he bought the business because he runs restaurants. So what is it about Greeks that you think, what, why? Because like a good Greek diner, what makes a good Greek diner good in Jersey, in, in my mind, is uh, if they have fresh fish, uh, if they, you know, if, if they have enough turnover to make the, the food fresh as possible. I like diner rice pudding, so if they have good rice pudding, yeah. I'm on board with yeah. that. 
Uh, and also they have some Greek menu. You know, tzatziki's got to be good. Greek corner, yeah. With yeah, the right. The, and then the, the and then if they make a moussaka, then it's fucking awesome. Yeah. Like if they do that fresh. But what is it then? What do you think it is? Why the Greeks and diners? Yeah. I did a paper when I was in college. <laughs> no, you did not. <laughs> yeah. My my senior, as a history major, I, I did my... Trying to remember what I did here. My senior essay, you had to do a thesis. Yeah, at the end of it, like some fifty-page yeah. paper, in order to graduate with that major. And mine, I did on the the role that Greek immigrant women played in the Greek community in America. Because you know how a lot of uh, cultures they come over to America and they get more into their culture. They define the edges of it more clearly. Right. Once they're taken away from the kind of full culture you know what i mean like now you're greek living next to somebody chinese or italian or whatever so now you're defining your greekness or whatever it is and also you want to succeed in america right yes yeah so you kind of glom together right so um i just i don't know i was trying to figure out this essay and i had to interview people and ask them questions what i found was a lot of the and I, i still don't know why specifically diners but a lot of the greek immigrant people the guys they would work on sundays the moms would take all the kids to church. So when I was growing up, all the everybody I knew, I knew everybody's mom, but I didn't know their dads because this guy has a diner, that guy has a, a flower store, this guy has right. a dry cleaner or whatever. But they sold candy and flowers in New York, and then they got into the food business. Food business, I understand, because you don't really have to speak to anybody. That's what the, I think that's what this guy said. Is that right? Yeah, he, he said that a lot of it, it, but there must be some sense of food because for food to be good, you got to be on top of it. It's also where they're from. I think that's, while Greece is dry, you do have, you can uh, raise sheep right. and olives. Right. My, my ancestors, I found out, were olive farmers, basically. So, really? Yeah. My mom's side, at least, it goes back. It's just olive farmers. For, for generations. I think so. Like, well, it's just, well, it's just interesting that the language thing came up with that guy, too, is that, uh, you know, you just, and there's something, there's something very communicative about good food. That, yeah. you, that transcends language. I think so. Yeah. You give someone a good plate of food, and you're like, huh? Eh? And, and it's intimate. Like, you could kill them. Yeah, you sure. could kill them with the food. Well, I don't think anyone's really thinking about that. I mean, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Like, yeah, they're diners. putting it in their body. Sure. If I walk into a diner, it's not Greeks. So I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if this is fresh. Yeah, they might be trying to kill me. But the Jews have the long history of um, delicatessens. Yeah, I mean, I just heard. Uh, I just heard a piece on NPR about uh, there's a trouble in the deli world uh, because yeah. of the price of meat. Uh, and they interviewed a guy to, who owned a deli in Berkeley, California. It's like there's no delis. Like it's yeah. just like there's no Greek diners yeah. off of the wet, off of the East Coast. Right. I mean, there's some, and they're obviously Greeks and the rest. Of them, but the the key to a good deli or a good diners, it you have to have people. It has to have turnover. Yeah. The key to any restaurant. It's so funny you say that. That's what they would say. We got to have turnover. Breakfast is important. Turnover. Yeah. That's yeah. Because, drilled into my head. Because if, if anything's sitting for more than a day, it's garbage. Yep. So usually what defines good food is that if they're making it fresh every day, then it's good. Like you can't have a brisket sitting around for two days or a right. corned beef. Right. Whatever. I'm glad we covered this stuff. Yeah. Now, this the last thing I'll say is growing up, I had it drilled into my head, business, business, business. Right. Um, I think that's money. a first generation thing. Too. That's a first generation thing. Yeah. My friend told me once, I always love this because to me it makes a lot of sense and it's my reality, that- um, people who are laborers want their kids to be merchants and want them to be business people. People who are merchants, business people want their kids to be professionals. Professionals want their kids to be professors, academics. Academics want their kids to be artists, and artists don't care what their kids are. Right. If you skip any step in that wheel, 
it pisses off. And and people. really, really rich people just want their kids not to fuck everything up. <laughs> just want them to not kill themselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Be an artist, just don't kill yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So all right. So you do you do comedy for a little while, you did Looney, you got your groove, and then you became uh what happened? You you went into writing? Yeah, so what happened was I started doing stand up there in in New York, temp jobs. When I dropped out of law school, I had to make a living. What'd your parents do to you? Everybody was disappointed. My father had died a couple years earlier at that point, so I don't know what. You have sibs, brother and sister. I'm the oldest. Were they doing all right? Yeah. Um, Were they on the right track? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Enough in in college and stuff. Still, everybody was still young. Um, So I thought I got to make a living here. Everybody was surprised and disappointed that I was doing comedy, and I got from my family, "You're doing comedy, but you're not funny." You know what? You know all this uh, kind of stuff. You're like Mitch Hedberg. Is that right? (laughs) No, no, no. no. no, (laughs) They said that. that. Yeah, right. My mom's like, I you're don't Stephen know this Wright. guy's name, but I so I just heard one joke from this guy. I don't know what he you're are you doing this guy? What's going on? Ma, that's even worse than that. <laughs> yeah, so so I I was a temp, so I was proofreader. Mm-hmm. First I was a secretary. Yeah. And then I became a proofreader yeah. and that was that paid more per hour, just proofreading legal documents and things like that. So you had some you had some experience with legal ease. Well, yeah, so I could right. read the documents. And then in two thousand I got my first stand up spot on Conan. They let me do a spot on Conan because I had applied for a writing job at TV Funhouse. It's so, Smigel's show. Right, the cartoon. The cartoon show he was doing with Dino. So, right, so Conan yeah. had been on about four years already. Yeah. Right. So I, I submitted a writing packet with a tape of me from Caroline's to Smigel's uh, team there to get a job on that show. I got a meeting with Smigel. He was really cool. I went and he said, he said I like your packet. And they were going to hire one person now at this point. There were three of us left. I was down to the final three. And uh, he said, I really like your stand-up. So I didn't know this, but he gave my tape to maybe Frank and Paul or to Conan right. or somebody over there. And so then they just called me and they said, you want to do the show next week? So they right. booked me off my Caroline's tape. I was thrilled. But I was going through a divorce at the time. I didn't, have, I didn't have a place to live. Whoa, whoa, whoa. When did you pick up the wife in this story? Yeah, I got married when I was 25, the year after I dropped out of law school. I got engaged in law school. I think I, 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 think I met you right after you got divorced. Is that possible? That's, that's possible, yeah. Yeah, because I started doing stand-up as a married guy. Right. Or as an, no, as an engaged guy. Got married, and then I'm divorced two years later. So it's funny. I'm walking around. Everybody's looking at me like, oh, this little boy. Look at this kid. I'd already been married and divorced. I'd already had like some- What the hell happened with that? That was my, that was my prom date. That was my- Your was high my, school sweetheart. Kind of, yeah. She liked me as a friend. We went to the prom as friends. Right. And then we started going out. In college, she went to Duke. I was at Yale. We did this long distance thing. Yeah. And uh, she became a doctor. We went to, we went to New York together. Yeah. I for law school, she for medical school. Uh-huh. She was at NYU Med. I was at NYU Law. I had gotten into Harvard Law. It was my dream. I turned it down because I was afraid of losing her. I went to New York. And I didn't get money at Harvard, so I'm glad I didn't go there because right. I would have had debt. I would have had a real problem. Right. So I went to uh, NYU, and I didn't like it. I just didn't like it immediately, and I didn't know what else to do with my life. When I tell you I want to be a lawyer from seventh grade, like that was my plan. I, I'm sure most of the guys you've talked to, maybe yourself included, comedy nerds as kids or at least knew a lot about comedy not me but what was the plan what were you going to do with law you know i don't know i I remember saying i'm going to be a corporate lawyer in seventh grade i didn't even know what that was it just sounded impressive it's that immigrant thing of like what are you going to be a doctor a lawyer what are you going to do i don't want to be a doctor i'll be a lawyer but you had no sort of uh grand aspirations you didn't think like i could be president or politics or you know i was president of in 
sixth grade, I think, was the first time I was elected president of my class. Yeah. And through law school, I won president or vice president every year. Never lost an election. In law school, by the time I dropped out, I was the vice president of the SBA. So was politics a thing for you? I didn't like politics. That's the weird thing. I, I, I think in retrospect, I liked talking in front of people. So but I like giving the speech. I would just go give the speech and get some laughs. Did you ever get involved in politics? Yeah, I was a White House intern summer of 96. 96? Clinton. You were at the White House? Yeah. Because you- In law school, I, I didn't like law. So I thought, maybe I'll do public policy. I'll try to work in politics. So I applied for a White House internship during my first year of law school. I got accepted. So I went to D.C. For my, after my summer of my first year of, you know, of law school. Did you have sex with Clinton? No, just fooled around. Okay. Now- um, did you get to spend time with him? Uh, no, I shook his hand. I saw him in the hall a couple times. That was it? But I, I was in the old executive office building. I was like, I could see the sharpshooters on the roof of the White House every day. It was kind of interesting. Yeah. But, you know, I got there and I realized I'm not passionate about this. And this is, well, I, I thought you were going to say, it's like, not a great place, the not, White House. Not, not for me. Yeah. Look, we're lucky. I think most of the comics I know, we, in that pyramid of needs, we come from closer to the top. For whatever our families did before us, you get access and you get a chance. Like you get some to make people, there's plenty of comics that come from uh, nothing, right? And in a way, they have something more raw and real to talk about if they want to engage with a group of people in a room. They well, do. The, well, the, this seems to be sort of uh, you're kind of hung up on this that you you have some sort of uh, uh, working class envy. Uh, I think so. Yeah, uh, that that you know perhaps your story doesn't warrant uh, uh, expression in the way of it being a, a life of. Uh, rugged integrity or something you know what i think in new york it took me a little while to understand that what everybody calls comedy there a lot of it's tough guy comedy that's oh yeah that's definitely true but you just think i started there so i just think that's comedy and also i often think of what passes the who gives a shit test very hard test well look you know i i've had my feet in both worlds uh, in in the sense that i'm a pretty thoughtful guy i'm an educated guy yeah i grew up uh, you know uh, middle class certainly on the upper end of middle class and i always aspired to you know, art and letters, and, and I, but I never really cut the mustard in that. I was sort of a fraud with it. I mean, I did, you know, I wrote poetry, I did photography, I read the big books, but I can mm-hmm. never compartmentalize anything into something that made sense. Right. But my heart was always in that world. So when I ended up doing, you know, trench comedy or going on Opie and Anthony and stuff, yeah. you know, there's part of me that, that completely engages with that, but then there's this other part of you that they're, they're kind of a battle. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I never had the... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm more of a pussy inside than I am some sort of you know angry broken man. You and at the same I mean? time, still you're on stage. Uh huh. So that's like, how much of a pussy are you if you're on stage at all? No, I you know, know I mean? know, but I'm just saying that like I always I just see what you're projecting the, the integrity yeah. of my story. I see. You know, it's, yeah. I'm not a hard luck guy. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something about a sort of hard luck guy or a guy yeah. that is sort of like knows himself. Like, is that guy through and through? When you see someone's like, "What's up?" and you realize like that's all that guy is. That, you know, the, the behind yeah. the what's up is not like, you know, I'd really like to understand Nietzsche. Right. You know, that that you, know, you can envy that because yes. they seem to have their shit together and they're not, I mean, together in the yeah. sense no, that- No, I know their message is clear. Right. They're not sitting there going, did I say that right? Am, am, yeah. I, am, I, am I selling this haircut? Am I right. too precious? Right, <laughs> right. I remember one time I went to, another time at Caroline's, I showed up and I didn't know who was going to be. I go in the green room and Norton's in there. I think it was Norton Voss. I don't know if you were there. There were a few guys there. And I had a fucking, I had this book I just bought. I think I got it at the Strand. It was how to read, how to fall in love with poetry. It was like how to read poetry and fall oh, in love with it. that's fucking so great. I just remember seeing the book. I didn't oh, care about the title, God. but I'm flipping through books. But I like the meter. I like yeah. seeing, again, like just, it's a game to me. That's just how my head works. I like just a few words. You yeah. Know? 
But I walk in that room and I have the book. They're like, I think it was Norton's like, what are you reading? <laughs> it's just, uh, oh boy. They, it was like 20 minutes of material for these guys. Just oh standing. God, you must have taken such a load. I you took a load. But he started to get, that started to make me laugh. That stuff it started to be funny. Like I remember one time I was at. um. Well, that's a big test. Are you going to be a pussy about it? Or you're I know. Is it funny? Like I was, at, up. I was at Tinkle once. Yeah. Remember Tinkle? Yeah. That, that was, was a great uh, room while it lasted. Todd Berry, John Benjamin, Dave Cross's thing. Right. At Pianos. Yeah. Just down the street from Luna. Luna right. still existed. It was kind of protest. Right. Remember they started this room. So I got to do a spot of Tinkle. Now Patrice used to make the rounds. That was around the time Patrice- Patrice and Tink- will bust anybody. Patrice will bust anybody, but Patrice had this funny thing where he would do more spots in the alternative rooms than the people me like me who are branded in right. an alternative comic. Well, he's he's definitely in his alternative universe. Right. <laughs> but Patrice is one of the few guys that can just look at you and rape you. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. If you walked up to the cellar and Patrice, if Patrice and Voss were there at the same time- Just and sum Paolo, you up in two words. That's right. And uh, were you there that night that Patrice got in a fight with that tranny? No, oh, I was. I'm hilarious. sorry. Have I you wasn't. heard about that? No. Uh, this is a separate story. But anyway, so I, I go on at Tinkle and I do my thing, and on my way out, Patrice is at the back of the yeah. room, and I say, "You're going up next. Do you want to use my guitar?" Because I know they've all made fun of me with my yeah. fucking guitar. And then I had to leave. I went to another set, but my friends told me later, they're like, he did half his set about you. You just pissed him off so much by just offering him the guitar. <laughs> but I thought it'd be great to drop this little bomb, be like, you want to use the guitar? And then leave. I'm not there for it. Yeah, so you took a lot of hits. You took a lot of hits. Nobody was ever that mean to me. I'm sure when I wasn't around. No, but it's just, yeah. it is comic hits. You know? It's comic hits. And yeah. it's, a, it's a compliment, I think, if people even give a shit or acknowledge right. you to even say something to you. Right, but also it's a big test of like whether or not you're going to survive, you know, yeah. and, and whether you're going to stay in it or you're going to, you know, what are you going to do with it? So, okay, so what happened with this woman? You, she goes on to be a doctor. Did Was it one of those situations where... Where she was like, couldn't live with your decision? I think so, yeah. I think, oh. I, I, think I broke the contract. It was like- we're we're going to be professionals. We're going to be professionals. Like, right. what do you you want to be a comedian? No, first it was you're miserable in law school. Take a year off. Right. Then we'll graduate at the same time. Right. Okay. Yeah. You're right. I should do it. I should yeah. just. You know what? Let me get on stage because I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life if I don't at least just try this. Yeah. And at that point, I had become the kind of funny guy in law school. Yeah. Just annoying, I'm sure, and trying to do bits or whatever I was sure. trying to do in law school. So I yeah, and I was at NYU, right? So that's Comedy Cellar, Boston. It's yeah. right across from the Boston. Yeah. yeah. So I'd, I'd leave and I'd do stand-up and I like it right away. That summer was my first set, that July. And I liked it. And then I bombed that second night, but I was like, I like this, I want to do this. I should be doing this. And But what was the conversation you had where you realized your marriage was over? I, I th- mean, was I it- think what happened was she was doing her residency, so she was really busy. Yeah. And I was, I, you know, when you're starting. You're I, out all night. At, at yeah. this point, I live in, in uh, Riverdale. I'm yeah. at 238th Street. In, on the, in the Bronx? Yeah, in the Bronx. Oh, I'm at the God. second to last stop. So I'm I'm doing an hour, an hour and a half almost each way on the subway every day to get to my temp jobs and then to do stand-up at night. And I'm so getting, you're out till 2.33 in the morning. Yeah, and I'm barking at the Boston. I'm, I'm with Louis Schaefer at this point. Oh. Just trying to get. That's a bad story for anybody. <laughs> that's the best. So I'm just trying to get. Five minutes, you know, I'm just trying to get on here. I'm trying to get on there. And it was just, she just was like, this ain't working. It was, it, well, what happened was we weren't seeing each other much. She was doing crazy hours. Yeah. Every third, fourth day, you had yeah. to do 24 hours. So it was like a holding pattern. Yeah, yeah. All right, whatever, whatever. Then we went on vacation. She right. got a break. That's when the marriage fell apart. Because we had time with each other and the reality of it came out. Oh, and wow. it was just like, I broke the contract. You know, fair enough. We didn't have kids. We had no assets. We had yeah. nothing. So in a way, it was no like kind of no lucky. You know, I think we both got hurt, but yeah. I left and I, I went and couched her for a while. Now back to the story where that's when I had my chance. 
I thought, oh my God, I'm going to get an actual job. I'm going to work on Smigel's show. Right. I'm sleeping on Leo's couch. I'm Leo at Allen? Six, yeah, I'm at 650 on 9th Avenue. Yeah. Where those guys had that place yeah. with Johnny Spanish. And yeah, he lives in my old apartment now. Is that right? Leo does, yeah. In Queens, right? Yeah. So I'm on his couch. And, uh, and, I, and Smigel says, we want you to, I want you to, I'll give you five days to write some more stuff. And I had to go to like internet cafes. I'm trying to write my packet for Smigel and I didn't get the job. But I got to do a spot on Conan. Right. That was my first thing. And then I kept temping. And then like a year later, I got a development deal. It was my first, after going to Montreal. Yeah. That didn't become a show. And I went back to proofreading. I kept my, I kept my day jobs and I just saved What was the pitch on that deal? The pitch was, um, there's this guy, Mitch Hedberg. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm going to play. <laughs> Hear me out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, so the pitch was, I play a tutor. Yeah. Who, uh was going to be an engineer and he realizes that his first day this big job he gets he doesn't want to do it and he goes back to his college town and becomes yeah. a tutor uh-huh and that didn't even get shot that was for nbc yeah yeah i had a couple of those so so okay so that sinks you made a few bucks and you go back to proofreading and then how do you get the gig on conan my third try my third packet for conan i got hired in 2003 and, you and were, i found out when i was in edinburgh that was when i had now done that one-man show my first one-man show that took me to scotland at the end of that month in Scotland, that I got the, a call. The guitar heavy one man show. <laughs> is there another kind? <laughs> <laughs> was there an? It's e- like guitar. There's only one. Thing. The funny thing is, you know, I was go there on the an road. easel in that one? No. Oh, that's pre easel. That was a screen. That was a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> guitar and <laughs> I'm PowerPoint. Going backward. Yeah, it had guitar and PowerPoint. The funny thing is, I do when I go on the road. I sometimes do two hours, which is probably not smart. But I do like a ninety minute show. Mm-hmm. I do the easel for seven, maybe ten minutes. Right. Play the guitar for maybe the last fifteen, right? Ten fifteen minutes. And so I am doing stand up. I'm doing stand. I tell jokes. I, know, I, know, I stand on stage. But it's such an old fucking school thing. It's like, yeah, we, 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 you know, it doesn't matter how long you do it. If you pick up a guitar for it's two so minutes, it's true. One time, one time, I middled for Dennis Regan at a at a what's it called Stress Factory in Jersey. Yeah, in Jersey. So Vinnie Brand has me come down there open for yeah. for Dennis Regan. Uh-huh. Nice guy, uh-huh. good guy. He, I get there first. I put my stuff in the dressing room. He shows up, and I'm standing outside the dressing room. He's like, hey, I'm Dennis. Dimitri. He's like, hey, you want to go for a walk? I'm going to get a coffee. Yeah, so we go walk around New Brunswick or East Brunswick, wherever it is, and he's telling me about his recent gigs. And he's yeah. like, oh, I just did this show. This fucking guitar comic, man. I had to follow this guy. I did like 20 minutes with his guitar. We get back to the dressing room. He looks, and he goes, is that your guitar? <laughs> His heart was broken. I felt so bad. I said, yeah, it's my but, guitar. But, but then are. I go, I said, I'm not, I don't do funny songs though. You got to understand. Yeah. I'm drawing the distinction. I'm, yeah. I'm not a guitar comic. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm a comic with a guitar, you know. I, and he I was just pretty pl- freaked out. Yeah, he, didn't he, have, he didn't have a hard time, did he? No, he didn't have a hard time. He, yeah. he was great and it was fine. That's Brian's brother. I wonder if he's still at it. I wonder. He yeah. was good. I, I thought he was funny. He, he had, had good, good jokes. Yeah, yeah, he had good jokes. All right, so let's uh, like let's fast forward. So you do the you, you get the uh, the big award in Edinburgh, and everything sort yeah. of turns around for you. You do a TV special. Now, there's a couple of cho- we're going to end up here for two hours if we're not careful. Sorry, yeah. No, don't apologize. It's good. But all right, so you wrote for Conan. I don't think a lot of people knew that. And then you did the, you got the Perrier Award in Edinburgh. Then you did a Comedy Central special. By the way, you went to Edinburgh. I don't want to talk about. It. Okay. <laughs> did you go 2005? Uh, I don't know. 2007. I only mention that so people understand how fucking lucky I was. That's not false but, but, modesty but, but or anything no. like that. I had a good, I was set up and my show was fine. It was good. But all my, a lot of my friends who went, 
The average audience size at that festival is like eight people. No, I know because you have to, you know, it's a, it's a game where you have to get press. But the fact that you had a, a unique show. Yes. That you had an hour that was actually a, a show. It was a structured show. It right. was a one-man show. Right. That's where I wasn't like lucky. That. I was in the mix, at least. Right. And from there, I was lucky. All right. So then you come back to the States. You get, what, your first special? Yeah, so I, right. I find out I get Conan, and I come back, and I start at Conan in September, mm-hmm. right after I get back from Scotland. And I, sh- I shoot my Comedy Central Presents in October, I think it was. The half hour. The half hour. And that comes out in that spring then. Right. And then by the next September, I quit Conan. Right. Because, because I wanted to tour. I just wanted to do stuff. Right. Well, you, you caught on. Yeah. Right. Enough. I caught on enough where I was getting a couple colleges here and there. Yeah, with the kids. Right. And yeah, then I yeah. went back. I did, I did Edinburgh four summers in a row. And then I went to Melbourne two summers. Two, two springs. Yeah. I was going around. I and did, how was your draw there in the international market? Pretty good. At that... At, at uh, Edinburgh, I was I was decent. I did fine. Yeah. Um. In in Melbourne, it was great. It kind of built. I went the two years. I loved Melbourne. I thought it was awesome. Is that where you were? I yeah I, yeah, I went yeah. for two weeks. It was great. I had a great time. And then yeah, so that's what I was doing. I was just traveling around a lot. All right. So before we get to you know more current stuff in 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 terms of like how, the demise of the Comedy Central show, you did a couple movie parts. You did a part in Taking Woodstock. Yeah. Uh, the Ang Lee movie, which was really awful. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I really, it's a very hard period to capture without it looking silly. Yeah. And I, you know, I love his movies and I, and I watched it and, and what my feeling was though, I can't picture you just <laughs> no, it came watching, on, it came on TV and I, and, oh, okay, okay. and I'm, and I'm not against the sixties and I like it. No, but it's, yeah, a, it's a very hard uh, era to capture without it looking like a costume party. I agree. Now, how did you get that part? I got that part. Okay, at that time, I was in. I was, my show for Comedy Central was now in pre-production. I get a call from my agent saying they want you to meet at uh, Focus Features for this Ang Lee movie. Mm-hmm. They called us and they want you to come in. So all right, so I went and I met with Seamus and Ang Lee, mm-hmm. and then I left. I said, "What's the deal? How, how am I getting this?" It turned out James Seamus's daughter liked my stand-up, and he was working on the script for that movie. And they were at home at their table as a family. And she's like, what about this guy? And showed him a clip of me from YouTube. Uh-huh. And he was like, oh, that'd be interesting. And looked into, I guess, more of my stuff. Uh-huh. And so he brought me and thought I could play that guy. And then I auditioned for Ang a week later. I did like four or five scenes for him. Videotaped me at this casting agency. And then they said, you got the part. Now, when you read the script, because you're not a trained actor. No. You're a comedian. Right. Uh, it's difficult for us to act effectively. That is true, and and now you've got a part where you're where you're sexually confused, yeah. and you have to kiss a man. Yeah, now, I was I was worried. You were. I was worried, and not that I, I thought it would be hard. I'm not. A, I don't think I'm any more homophobic than hopefully an open-minded normal person is, but I was worried. Number one, you know, it's going to feel weird to kiss a guy that I'm supposed to be in love with. It's not right. doing a bit on SNL where right. everyone cheers. Right. And number two. I don't want to be a cartoon. I don't right. want to be now go overboard and be like, you know what I mean? This is like, what yeah. an asshole. Like, that's how he plays a gay guy. You right. Know? So it's, yeah, it just seemed I was like worried. such a challenge. It was a challenge. And you know, there were scenes, there's a love story in that movie that got cut out. Between you and him? Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Me and Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Uh-huh. He's cheating on his wife. And we have like, I have a breakup scene with him and a love scene. We shot those. I did that. I did that work. <laughs> And it was not in there. I was so bummed out. Well, I mean, I, you know, I'm not. You know, I'm not even approaching it. You know, in in these questions about um, the idea. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, I'm certainly you know not homophobic, and I and I have no 
issue with with capturing uh, yeah a, no I a, don't a think homosexual I, relationship but the fact is, as, as somebody going in as a comic who's not an actor to, to you know to co- sort of cross this line and you saw it in the script you're like and it's not yep. a homophobic thing it's really how is it going to look to me yeah. sitting at home that's Dimitri Martin who's not an actor and he's right. kissing a guy right and I'm not I'm also as comedians go I wouldn't say I'm the most effusive uh dramatic guy on stage you know what i mean guys act out their shit a lot on right. stage sure, and i sure. don't i no, tell right. my jokes but this is a real acting this role. is like a huge leap this is i'm going to 10 from one and, <laughs> and what were your feelings when it was released and the feedback on it i mean were, were you uh what were your feelings i felt grateful to, to get a part at uh-huh. all you know as a comic i i think when i started i just wanted to be a comic uh-huh. i just wanted to get my jokes to work the idea of acting came later because I was like, but when you when you were doing an Ang Lee movie, you that's what I meant. You I'm must think, have thought like this is gonna be great, and then the movie was a little fragmented. When I, re- you know, for me, they kept saying it's a comedy. Ang and and people on the set, they're like, and for Ang, I think that is a comedy. But what I understand as a comedy, I like Peter Sellers. I'm thinking. Comedy to me is Pink Panther. It's like in different eras. It's broad. It's broad. It's it's going to be broader, and it's it's designed to deliver jokes. But everybody played it so straight. Is Ang Lee Chinese? I think he's Taiwanese. Taiwanese. Yeah. It's just like you know, and then you got Liev Schreiber for Schreiber in that dress. The whole I'm like, oh my god. I I couldn't change a word in the script. Not that I had anything. Look, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, but comedically, there was no room for me to do a bit. There's no improvisation there's no change there was no changing a word no i thought that you know as the character as somebody who was you know represented the this sort of personal uh the new personal freedoms and his own confusion in the face of his family and and in the face of the generation and the culture that was happening I, you know i thought you did a fine job i, but I think I, I wasn't myself which is good i think i was a right. different guy yeah i don't know about for you but for me the the further you commit and get into the business the more it becomes to me about my day-to-day life and maybe the process of what I get to do, yeah. and I hope I get money for it, and I mm-hmm. hope I get a lot for it. More that than, oh, this trophy, I want that, or I want to do a spot on this show, or I want this special or something. You know what I mean? Like I feel happier and healthier if I'm, if those things are byproducts of just what I like doing no, with I my agree. time. Yeah, yeah, and you I, know, yeah, I feel that. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. I just say that because of the Angley thing. I was excited that I got to do it, but it was different than than having control of the reins at all it was stand here do it again talk like well, this. I, I guess my conversation was really around you know and i don't want it to come off the wrong way was there's any deliberation with you or with your management that said look you know you 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 know this is you know this is you as a comic right and now you're going to do this movie this could hurt where you're you. playing it yeah yeah no it was um my agent i don't have a manager so my agent was like you should yeah buddy you should do this He's like, if it doesn't do well, I think he's like, you'll get, you kind of, you're lucky right now. You'll get a free pass in a sense. You're not carrying this movie. It's an Angley movie. Right. And I thought, okay. But you had the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not, it was, and I don't think it was because this sucks, you shouldn't do it. It was, hey, you don't know how to act, you know. And you've got to play a pretty deep character and he's a gay character. Yeah. I mean, for me, the fear is more people just saying that guy can't act. Oh, right. And, you know, you just don't want stuff taken away from you before you have a chance to do it, and I think that's that's true across the and board did, for me. Did, did they say that? Uh, if they did, not to me. So I appreciate them not saying it to me. No, people were like, "Yeah, you were fine," which is better than <laughs> then you suck. Yeah, it's, and it's not as good as you're awesome. Yeah. So now the the show ran for two seasons. Yeah. Um, what was it called? Important things. Important things. Now, what happened to that? What happened there was I did my stand up special. I did Dimitri Martin person in 2006. Yeah. Winter of 2006. Right. I shot my first hour. Came out in. 2007 
it did better than Comedy Central expected. They called me in for a meeting and they told me that. The special did. They said, your special, it had good retention and it did better than we expected. Mm. And we didn't hardly promote it. We'd like to do a pilot. I, we think you could do a show. If it's anything like your special, we'd be interested. We think you'd be something there. Now I'd done stuff on The Daily Show, so I had the weight of Busboy behind me. Oh, that's right. You were Daily Show correspondent too. Yes. You've had a sort of a- Kind of a contributor. Sweet career. Yeah. But see, I pop in and do a little bit here and there. Like I did seven, I only did seven bits on The Daily Show. Right. They but, were but work, they, but, but it was But they sort of branded you. I mean, you had a- It helped me. You, that helped You did uh, some of the, the easel stuff and, right? And, Big time. Yeah. That stuff really helped me. And they and let the me- drawings. They were cool. They let me do my right. voice. Because I, look, I don't know shit about politics. Right. I don't, I don't gravitate to it and I don't have anything to say. Yeah. Right now in my life. Maybe when I get older, I'll have more money and I'll dig my heels in and stuff. But I, I just, I don't know why. It just doesn't burn for me like like that. So anyway, they said you should do, you know, pilot. So I did the pilot and it got picked up. And then we did the first season. I was totally burnt, exhausted, made the show way too hard for myself. I, I Were just, you difficult to work with? Uh, some people think so, but I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was. And, and how did that? I don't, happen? but in ways that I don't think people would expect. Um, what I tried to tell people after doing that show was, when you're selling yourself, when right. you're trying to be yourself, and that's the thing you're selling, those stakes go very, very high for you. But there's nobody for whom they will be equal. Do you know what I'm saying? So people you work with, if that show sucks, and I'm the idiot for doing a show as me playing me. The downside is greatest for me because if it sucks and it really doesn't go the way I want, then I can't walk away from that. But how confident were you in your vision in, in the sense that how much it's, of your being the, difficult was your insecurity? No. Uh, my vision and the execution are two different things is what I right. like. I'm, I'm co as confident in my vision probably as anybody who has the balls to call it their vision. Okay. But I don't know what my vision is other than my bits and my jokes. But the execution, what I always said coming out of that show was... Look, if I'm not funny, I just want to be not funny in the way that I'm not funny. Right. That's the point. Look, right. I, I'm fine not being funny. I'm not funny all the time. I bomb all the time. But I'm responsible for it. And nobody gets to stick their hand in and make me unfunny in the way that they're unfunny. Right. And then I have to suffer the consequences of it. Hey, that's just the reality of doing the show that I did. That's what I learned later. Nobody gives a shit about my show. My show is tiny. You don't even remember the title of it. So who does this matter to? We talk about self-involved? Yeah, me. I'm the one going here gesticulating. You can't see at home, but I'm moving my hands around. Everything. But how did your um, how did it, you being difficult to work with manifest itself? Were you angry or what? Were, yeah, yeah, I got angry a couple times. Um, I would say probably less than most people, but I could be wrong. Well, yeah, there's um, certain print people there, but you know they'll indulge people if they're kicking ass. Yeah, like I. I was, we went we went down in production between the first part and then when I had to do the Ang Lee movie and then came back. Yeah. Pretty much everybody came back. But in the interim, I wanted to check, like, if they came back, number one, either they, they're desperate for work or they like working with me or both or mm -hmm. neither, I don't know. So I asked people, and I'm not going to tell you to your face, oh, I hated working with you, but it seemed like people liked working with me. And, yeah. And, now, there were a few times where this is my first experience, not only working with other people aside from Conan, and I guess The Daily Show, but like really having a staff, but having to be in charge of it. I was executive producer. Yeah. So I think the way I was difficult was I was, again, it wasn't I was so specific about it has to be this way. Right. I would just know how I didn't want it. Right. Or like when we were doing the, the promos, I'd say, um, 
you know, can I be involved in the promos? And they'd say, promos is its own department. Right. Like you don't get involved. And then I'd say, but I'm, I'm the person in the, the only person on screen for the promo is me. Right. So can I, can I be involved? And they'd be like, we don't usually do that. So I think a lot of times what happens is they get talent who just don't care to their credit, to the talent's credit. They just don't care. Right. And Chappelle's a juggernaut. Chappelle's a brilliant comedian. I don't know how much, I don't know him. Yeah. I've met him a couple times, but I'm guessing he didn't go about it the same way I did. I know those guys had, I've talked to Neil and they've had their yeah. terrible battles with Comedy Central, but I don't know how much Chappelle was like, promo's gotta be like this. Like, right. But for me, for whatever reason, I was, in my head, I was like, <clears throat> I'm allergic to cats, so I think I'm getting- Are you? Old, yeah. Oh, it's just starting? All right. So in my head, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, people are gonna see the promo more than they see my show. If the promo's annoying, and I know they're gonna air it 20 times because I've watched the channel. Yeah. So I'm trying to think of a bit that can air 20 times and be the least annoying bit possible. Do you <laughs> yeah, know what? I'm serious. Sure. It's a defensive, that is insecurity, that's fear. Because I don't want, I don't want that to like have me lose audience right, and stuff. Right. So yeah, I'm difficult there. I don't mean to be, but I'm more persistent. Right, I'm, you're concerned yeah. about, yeah, I get it, I, I get know. it. I'm, I'm, I can probably think of 20 examples. Yeah, but any really horrible ones? Um, Where, you know, you, any glass throwing or? No. Throwing over the table or making anybody cry? No. Mm. Uh, not that I know of. But Any yeah. of you swamming the door and being by yourself after you just blew up and you're like, what the fuck did I just do? No, you know, one time I was, um, we were doing this sketch called The Bad Actor. Mm -hmm. And it's in the first episode of the first season and I'm freaking out. In the scene, I can't get angry when I'm supposed to. And then when we cut, when we cut, I get angry. Right, that's the joke. That's the joke. Well, this was a, a this was at least a twelve hour day yeah. shooting, probably for ten hours. Look, right. look, I'm geared, I'm set, kind of quieter. Mm -hmm. I can scream. I'm just like anybody. Yeah. To do it all day. Yeah. Whew, yeah. That was hard. I lost my voice. Benjamin's in that. Yeah. John Benjamin was awesome in my yeah, series. Yeah, hilarious. Yeah. He was in there. He's in that sketch, and we had to just yell. We both were losing our voices. I don't know. I don't know how to. I guess there's a way you can yell. Right? Is that part of the acting training? You learn how to yell so you can fucking- Sure, but I mean, all day long is, you know, usually was for hard. one performance. Yeah, I get but it. But this one guy kept like giving me notes. Yeah. And I remember just saying something back to him like, I don't want to have this, I said something, he's like, I don't want to have this conversation right now. But it's like, this guy's sitting off on the side in a, like a director's chair, just throwing craft service down his mouth, just yeah. watching me. I'm just, I'm trying to learn how to act while I'm doing the thing. Yeah. And I said something to him, you know? That guy went and told Comedy Central that I was disrespectful to my crew or something like this. Ugh. When it was, I was to him. He says that to me. I say it back. Also, I'm like yelling all day. Yeah. I'm angry yeah. because I don't know how to not be, you know what I mean? Like I'm in the scene. I'm just trying to do it. Yeah. But this is like, these are, these are good lessons because this is the standard that you are held to. And you know what? People would say, fuck you. You got your own show. Right. That's what goes with it. I think they're right. Right. Well, also, yeah, maybe you learned a little bit of diplomacy, and that you know that yeah. there's a way to to yeah. manage relationships. And yeah, I, I look. I, I think if you insulate yourself too much and you don't uh, collaborate enough, even you know, even if yeah, I think there's a trick to collaboration where you can still get what you want. I think you're right, and I think that if you don't know, if you don't know any better, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like if you get a deal to do a show it's due at this day and this is how much money you have right whether you've done 10 shows before whether you're 45 or whether you're 22 right nobody cares it's business right so that was my first one <laughs> and i was dealing with stuff just like anybody else yeah man did i make mistakes <sighs> totally the show went away after the first season i didn't want to do it again yeah 
but I had to. Oh, that, and that's, or not, I was kept that's not the best attitude either. Right. That's yeah. not the best way to go into your second season. But that's why I moved to California for the show. I did the second season. In Cal- I said, Are you living here permanent now? Yeah. And what? And uh, let's talk about the book before before we don't get to that. Because I looked at the book recently. I I didn't get an advanced copy because again I had no idea that you were ever going to come to the show after <laughs> nice. a, a six months of emailing. And um, <laughs> like like Mark's emailing me every day for six no, months. No, I, I emailed you. I emailed you once, and you said uh, maybe I can do it in you know, March two thousand and thirteen. Yeah, and then <laughs> I got a lot going on, Mark. Look at me. <laughs> And then you know I, I checked back in a few months later. And then, one of you know. one of Mark's emails was okay. I'm gonna call bullshit. I like that you didn't call bullshit on me. You prepared me for the calling of bullshit. You're like, look, man, I'm gonna have to call bullshit. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, come, I'm I'm a fan of your podcast. Like, I want to do show. And thank you for having me on the show. Obviously, no, it's a pleasure. I'm I'm glad you made it. Now the book, I I you know again, I didn't want to like it because you know I, I generally don't want to like you, but I do. But uh, but I, you know, that. yeah, I picked it up and and I got a good laugh out of one of the cartoons. Oh, cool! It's a nice mix. Of, the beard cartoon is very funny. Oh, thanks, man. I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, <laughs> even though you can just go to a bookstore and look at it. But uh, but it's a mixture of there. There's some dialogue stuff. There's some cartoons and there's some uh, essays and stories. And it's uh, you know, it honors your voice. Thanks. It's I, not really autobiographical. It's not a memoir. No. It's a comedy book. It's just bits. Yeah, they're, they're just little jokes and stories. And, and you stuff. did the drawing on the cover. Yeah, it looks good. Is I, it selling all right? You don't know. It's selling all right. I yeah. think it's selling all right enough that like if I want to do more books, and that's called know, this is my book. It's called this, this is this a is book. A, this is a book. I like this is my book. Though. <laughs> that's like just a little bit more of a jab. Like hey, everybody, this is a book. This is my adorable. Now, book. Now, do you have people that you cite as influences in the in the world of art and poetry? Yeah, because you seem a little uh, stripped down, a little minimal, a little surreal. Yeah, who are your guys? Um, I really like Paul Rand and graphic design. Mm-hmm. I discovered him a couple years ago. Saul Steinberg is a recent discovery for me. Mm-hmm. I know some of his stuff from the New Yorker, but I found some books and used bookstores. It's really cool. Just the confidence of the hand, you know, it's just like, just the line drawings are so great. I love Picasso, and I guess that's, you know, he's the most famous artist, but I just can't get over how prolific yeah. one man was. It's yeah. just unbelievable to And me. difficult to work with. There's one. <laughs> I guess if that's, I'd love to have, I wouldn't love to have that, but if my res- reputation is difficult to work with, then then maybe people would be pleasantly surprised. And if you keep generating uh, unique stuff that's uh, that's uh, got a style to it, you know, you can keep going. Yeah. Again, like for me, I'd say it's about specificity and I guess some people don't care. But, other well, the, but, that, but of course, but I mean, if if it is about specificity and you understand who you are, then then you get the people that appreciate it. Yeah. and the rest fuck them. Right. right? I mean, that's both just, for you, colleagues and for audience. You got to live with that when yeah. you when you do what you do. And you, you know what? You can't be self contained. The closest you can be to self contained is probably a stand up, a pure stand up, just you on stage with your audience. But you still need the audience. So even there, yeah, no, you're not going to be so self. You know, you're specific, porous. Yeah. You know, you, you, you've got a thing that you do and, and that's yeah. it. And but it seems that you still got people uh, digging it. So that's good. People, people with it, but you can't please everybody. You just right. get well, your audience. Of course. Well, I mean, you know, you, know. Know, you shouldn't say that like you're trying to. Uh, that's, that's your reading of it. I didn't say it like I was trying to. <laughs> but you are a little bit, right? I always say 300 million people in the country. Yeah. I'm only going for a hundred million. <laughs> And do you have a, is there any uh, TV coming up or movies? Uh, I don't think so. You know why? Maybe you're difficult to work with. I'm I'm the hardest to work with. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm working on on a, a bunch of projects. Uh, isn't it funny? I feel like when people say, oh, I have coming up, I'm working. It's yeah. just my brain goes off. Like, who cares? Nobody cares what I'm working on. All right. Well, let's leave it at that. Yeah. All right. Thanks for coming, Dimitri. Thanks for having me, Mark. 
Okay, that's it. That was Dimitri Martin. Not as bad a guy as I might have thought. I didn't think that, but you know me. You know, has a history, has a past in the restaurant business and whatnot. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to him. I, maybe I'm becoming a nicer guy. I don't know. Thank you for listening. Go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF Pod needs. Get on that mailing list. Kick in a few shekels. We, we are still uh, very much uh, listener supported. Although we do have ads, I did just lose my insurance. So does that anything? Anything? Any sympathy there? I lost my insurance and fucking Cobra cost a fortune. But you know what I mean? I'm getting to that age. Need the coverage. The music you heard on today's show is a song called WTF LOL by the Mannequin Men, and you can get their album, Lose Your Illusion 2, T-O-O, uh, on iTunes. You can check them out on Twitter. at uh, They are at Mannequin Men. So there's that. I'll be in Canada at the Just for Laughs Festival. Oh, fuck. All right. Look, I, I'll talk to you later. <laughs>